Hello, everyone, and either welcome or welcome back to the Gender Libertarian Podcast. If you do like this, please rate, comment, and subscribe. You can find me on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, YouTube, and on my Patreon page. So we have made it through yet another week in our new normal, and I'll go ahead and apologize ahead of time. This episode is probably going to be a little shorter than usual. Um, I did want to come and give you guys an episode, uh, especially since I did miss doing my normal Thursday slash Friday episode. And if you are wondering why that is, that is because I was on Dave Smith's show, Part of the Problem, which if you have not listened to it, go on his feed, go listen to it. We discussed immigration. So that is why I kind of had to cut my schedule short. I mean, obviously, there are certain invitations you don't say no to. So anyway, please go listen to that. If you haven't already, let me know what you think. Obviously, Dave and I do not necessarily agree on everything immigration related. And we do have a discussion about where we agree and where we differ. So anyway, there's that. Um, There are a couple things that I do want to discuss from this past week, Newsweek wise, and a couple of situations that Maybe I'll touch on briefly, but I do think I want to give a little more time to than I have currently right now. So I think some of these stories, at least one of these stories, I want to take the the Michael Flynn situation and kind of expand that out a little bit more. So maybe that one will get left on the back burner and that'll be the next episode. But anyway, let's go ahead and start where I have been starting for the past gosh, five weeks now, and that is with our new unemployment numbers. Um, Week prior to this, uh, we had 3.8 million people file for unemployment on the week ending on the 25th, which brings us up to over 30 million unemployed people currently. Uh, Yeah, I mean, at least, I mean, 3.8 is nothing to be happy about, but at least it's down from the six millions and the nine million numbers. So I maybe slowing down a little bit. Um, As you've seen, and obviously, as I've discussed, um, we do have states that are starting to open up and let people go back to work. Um, My situation here in Georgia, we've been obviously we've done done the reopening. And so far, from what I've seen, um, Restaurant-wise, there's not a lot of restaurants really across the whole spectrum, anywhere from fast food to fast casual to more upscale, who have actually opened up their dining rooms. I mean, there's there's a handful. And obviously, when you do open up your dining room here, you do have to still do social distancing. So they're basically like every other table is blocked off. So they have like half a room that they can service, which I guess... I mean, is something for some of these restaurants, but definitely not at full capacity. Um, an issue that I had brought up during my episode about the reopening is the PPE issue. And to that, I actually got an email from um, a school not too far away from me here that does like esthetician, massage work, stuff like that. And they have, of course, as part of their education, they have like a, a spa you can go to where the, the students can practice on you, obviously. Um, they are not opening until sometime in mid-June based off of that issue of not being able to get a hold of masks and gloves and sanitation supplies to be able to safely open. Um, we do have some salons that are open. We do have some salons that are staying shut. Um, the mall situation as of right now, this recording, I'm recording this on the 3rd, 
There are a couple of malls really kind of outside the metro area that are open. As far as being kind of in Atlanta metro, there's nothing open yet. The Simon properties are supposed to be opening up on Monday the 4th. They were originally scheduled to open up on Friday the 1st, but that got pushed back for some reason. Um, The Simon properties here include most famously Lenox Square, Phipps Plaza, and Mall of Georgia, so none of those are open right now. Uh, General Growth Properties, none of theirs are open. They are supposed to open, I believe, on either Monday or Tuesday. So we've not had a massive amount of retail open up that wasn't open during the lockdown, that wasn't considered like essential businesses. And a lot of these places did obviously shut down before the shutdown order was put into effect. Um, A thing that I have noticed, though... Uh, remember like about six, seven weeks ago when I'm sure all of us just got just our inboxes just got pounded by emails from people who you've done business with who are just telling you that they are closing. I have not gotten a single notification from any brick and mortar store that I shop at that they are reopening. So I'm wondering, even if these sort of malls and outdoor mall places open, how many retailers themselves are going to be open? So, so far, the situation in Georgia is that like you can be open, but a lot of businesses are choosing to not do that, either because they feel like they can't get the supplies that they need to operate safely, or they're doing it for the sake of their employees, or for whatever reason they're doing it. We definitely don't have like some kind of crazy free-for-all going on down here. Um, As far as people going outdoors, you are starting to see it a little bit more, but especially given the fact that, like, the weather has been really nice here lately. Like, it's that perfect spring weather, and the amount of people that are still staying indoors, even with this weather, is really kind of shocking. I went and got Shake Shack on Tuesday and found a place outside to eat, And I stayed outside in this one spot for well over an hour and didn't see another soul. Like nobody was out. It was kind of eerie. It was actually really nice, but also really eerie because it was like I was sitting in a place where if you wanted to, you could social distance. I mean, the tables were far enough away that you could be six feet away from other people. But by and large, you're really not seeing a ton of people out. Um, Apparently, there was some flyover thingamajig yesterday on Saturday the 2nd. It seems like lots of cities did this. I don't know. Apparently, a lot of people went out to go look at the planes in the sky. That's not a thing that I would do even under normal circumstances. So I was like, okay, um, I don't know. Sure. Okay, whatever. I guess people went outside and tailgated to look at the planes in the sky. So I've been told. Anyway, things in Georgia, like I said, it's Even though, legally speaking, they can be open, and pretty much at this point, everything can be legally opened, businesses are still making that decision to not open up fully or to still operate under reduced hours or to do social distancing or to be kind of like by appointment only, stuff like that. So it seems like everybody's kind of taking that more gradual approach, even though they're not legally speaking, forced to take that approach. So a little bit of of good news there. Hopefully we can serve as an example to other states that, you know, people can maybe act right and handle this by themselves without the government imposing anything upon businesses to be open or to be closed. 
fingers crossed and fingers crossed we don't have some massive COVID outbreak in two weeks because if we do, all the rest of you are fucked. (laughs) If we screw this up, y'all ain't getting off lockdown. So let's all cross our fingers and hope that Georgia doesn't screw this up. (laughs) But moving on to a situation that kind of ended up being something of a tempest in a teapot, but is still important because it does have long-term ramifications. And that is the current issue that is going on in meat processing plants across the country. Um, If you've not been paying attention to this, there have been a lot of hotspots found in meat processing plants to the point where we've had several plants close down operations due to the fact of having COVID outbreaks. And even Tyson Foods took out a page like a full page ad in the New York Times, basically pounding the alarm that like, hey, things might be about to go really, really bad with the food supply chain here in the United States because we have to shut down our processing plants and we can't process the chicken or whatever it is that they process. I know Smithfield plants have had this problem too, and they mainly process pork. So they kind of came out and, and, and rang the bell and be like, you know, guys, this this might turn into a really serious issue. So we should probably like start thinking about what exactly are we going to do if food processing plants en masse have to shut down. And there's been some debate online as to whether we have enough meat in cold storage that would be able to carry us over if these plants do have to shut down for a couple of weeks or perhaps even a month. I still have the logistical question of, okay, even if it is in cold storage, how do you get it from there to the grocery store? Like I imagine it still has to be processed and packaged and shipped and go all along the chain to get to the store so you can purchase it. And I'm sure if you've been to the grocery store lately, you've noticed ever since this started, your fresh meat selection has been a little spotty. And it's, it's kind of catch as catch can. Sometimes there's chicken, sometimes there's beef, sometimes there's pork, sometimes there's seafood, but it's not been fully stocked this whole time. So anyway, what ends up happening is Trump decides he's going to sign an executive order naming meat processing plants as part of the critical infrastructure of the United States, which means they fall under the Defense Production Act. A lot of people interpreted this as Trump basically trying to force processing plants to open, which the executive branch has no power to do. Trump cannot tell a business that they have to be open. That just you can't do that. What this does is that it well it prioritizes just like anything else under DPA. It prioritizes any kind of federal orders to these plants to go ahead of private party orders, which, I mean, to the best of my knowledge, the federal government has not placed any orders with meat processing plants for food. I don't know what they would do with it if they did. The government isn't exactly equipped to store large amounts of food to distribute to the American people. That's kind of not what they're set up for, nor should they be, because obviously the government should not be in charge of distributing food. That does not end well. (laughs) We've seen how that ends and it's not good. So I'm not entirely sure what the point of Trump even interjecting himself into this is. Um, There seems to be some question as to if these meat processing plants now fall under critical infrastructure and they do open and they do 
they do resume business that if an employee falls sick, if they do get COVID, that they would be indemnified from any kind of lawsuits from those employers or employees, excuse me. I'm not entirely sure how that would work legally, but a bigger point there is the the employees of meat processing plants tend to be immigrants, um, tend to oftentimes be undocumented immigrants. So there is a conversation to be had, especially since these meat processing plants have become hotspots of kind of the dichotomy of having people who don't have really any kind of legal recourse or any kind of way to protect themselves from their employers should their employers decide, okay, we're going to open, you have to come back to work. And on the flip side, these people performing one of the most important tasks in the country right now, which is food processing. So whether that's a conversation that'll be had, um, I think if the food supply chain does really break down, especially along like meat stuff, um, yeah, there's going to have to be some uncomfortable conversations about how we staff meat processing plants. And yeah, I don't, everybody's going to do their best to avoid that conversation because it's one of those things that nobody wants to talk about. It's really, it's shitty. It's exploitative. And I'm somebody who is very pro-immigration. I want these people to be able to come here. I want them to be able to work. I want them to be here safely. I want them to have the same legal safeguards in their workplace that I have as a native-born person. So that is why I tend to take the tack of trying to get these people into the American fold. Like, let's, let's make citizenship easier. Let's make being here legally and working legally, even if it doesn't come all the way up to the point of citizenship, easier. So that if this kind of stuff does happen, these people have more protections. Because like I said, you're doing one of the most important jobs in the country. You're providing food. And if these workers get sick and they cannot do their job, we don't have food on the table. That's going to create a huge fucking problem in this country. So I, I think there there is room to have a conversation about how we treat these people and how we should be treating them in the future, given that they do perform a very important task, but also a very gross, physically demanding, long hours, potentially physically dangerous task that most Americans just do not want to do. I mean, and that is what it is. So we shall see. Hopefully, fingers crossed, we don't have any more cracks in the food supply chain, because if you think things are bad now, just wait till people show up and there's nothing in the fresh meat department. You you think people are rioting now about going to the beach and going to the park and seeds and shit? Just wait till there's no damn food. Okay, (laughs) that is when it's going to get ugly, because Hungry people are hangry people, and hangry people tend to not react very well to their government. So anyway, moving on from that, um, array of good news. A thing that I have been wanting to happen for a long time now, if you have been listening to this podcast, you already know that I have been a big fan of the idea of Justin Amash running on the LP ticket, and it seems like that is going to happen. 
Amash announced this week that he is forming an exploratory committee to investigate the possibility of running, which is the fancy speak way for saying he's running. So obviously this generated a lot of press because a lot of people have been kind of waiting on this announcement, whether it's going to be yay or nay. It's something people have been talking about seriously at this point for over a year. So finally pulled the trigger. He did it. Um, He's given quite a few interviews lately and we'll be giving more. Kind of just got information about one that is in the works. And I know he's been talking to Reason. I know he's been on a couple different podcasts and people have asked, well, what what was the holdup? What was the deal here, dude? And apparently it seems that this was a decision that he did make a little bit of time back, um, I think he suspended his congressional campaign back in March. So he's not been actively campaigning for his congressional campaign. And then basically COVID happened and a lot of stuff had to get put on the back burner because obviously he is still a sitting member of Congress. And obviously Congress has had a lot of things to do since COVID broke. So a lot of stuff kind of had to be put on the back burner for him to do his his job that he currently has. So finally got to a point where he was like, all right, I'm going to announce because I can't basically I he can't deal with how the government has been handling this, this such far, which I entirely agree. I mean, it's been absolutely horrible. And he's finally been like, you know what? I'm doing this. Screw it. Throwing my hat in the ring. So Obviously, as per usual, if you have been in third-party politics for any election cycle at this point, even if you've not been as many election cycles as I have, um, you know what happens when somebody who is of any kind of higher profile throws their hat into a third-party ring, and that is the whole... Oh my God, you're being such an egotistical asshole. Why are you doing this? Like, now is not the time. Oh my God. And it's like, all right, I would have way more sympathy for the not now argument if I hadn't been hearing the not now argument for the past 15 years. Like every four years, somebody runs third party and it's always, well, I mean, I would totally support him, but... I mean, there's just too much at stake right now, so I gotta vote for one of these other two people. It's just like, God damn it. All right. It, here's my response to the whole not now thing in this current environment where it looks like the other two options are going to be Donald Trump and Joe Biden, allegedly. Um, <laughs> there seems to be some question about that now, too, but more than likely it's gonna be Donald Trump and Joe Biden. I mean, if not now, then when? Like, honestly, look at these two dudes. Look at them. They're both in their 70s. They're both old as shit. I have serious questions about both of their cognitive abilities. Neither one of them can talk for three minutes without degenerating into some word salad mush that nobody knows what the fuck you're talking about. I mean, with these two options, when would be a better time to put somebody like Amash, at the head of the LP ticket. I mean, look at him. He's 40 years old. He's a sitting member of Congress. He's served, what, five terms now. He has a voting record. He has very principled stances that he sticks by, no matter what, obviously, much to cost to his career. And he's articulate. I mean, he's... he's, 
I'm not afraid he's going to die in office of old age. Like, I mean, the the choice is kind of stark right now. And I know the, the pushback to that argument is that so many people are going to double down on the duopoly this year because, oh, my God, we have to get rid of Trump or, oh, my God, we have to make sure old ass senile Biden doesn't become president. So I'm going to suck it up and vote for the other dude. Okay. I know a lot of people are going to go tribal on this, but I think there's a lot of people who are kind of the silent majority in the middle who are looking at both of these options and are like, this is horrible. This is just awful, horrible nonsense. I mean, we, we've made jokes in the past, obviously, that every every election is like voting between a giant douche and a turd sandwich. This year takes the cake, though. I mean, both of these guys, both Trump and Biden, will be the oldest nominee to ever run for their party. They're, it's, it's staggering to think about. Like, they're both in their 70s. Like, no, can we not? <laughs> and so... I think that now is a good time to put forth someone like Amash. Is he going to win? Probably not. I mean, let's let's keep it real. Do I think he can get to 5%? That I do think. And that has been my stated goal for the Libertarian Party for 2020 is to get somebody on the ticket that can make it to 5%. Or at the very least, somebody who can actually kind of espouse libertarianism and libertarian views to a wider audience. And whether you like it or not, Justin Amash has star power that nobody else running for the LP ticket has. I mean, that is what it is. Like, nobody else is getting press. Nobody else is going to get the kind of attention that Justin Amash is going to get. Nobody else is going to get the kind of mainstream interviews or anything like that that Justin Amash is going to get. Love it, hate it, it is what it is. And I do think now is a good time to really try to get our foot in the door nationally to present to people that third option because the other two options are just particularly shitty right now. Just particularly shitty. And so, yeah, I support Amash running. Um, To segue from that into more logistical concerns, um, update on LP National. Um, there was a Zoom call yesterday, the second, based around exactly what are we going to do as far as having a convention? Because in case you've not heard me explain this before, um, the way the LP picks their presidential and vice presidential nominees is that it is done on the floor at the convention by the delegates who were voted in as delegates at their state conventions. So we don't have binding primaries. We don't have anything like that. It's literally decided at the convention. So not having a convention is not an option. But clearly, um, it was originally supposed to happen at the, end, at the end of May, excuse me, in Austin. And last Sunday, I believe it was, um, through, I'm not entirely sure what happened. It seems like there might have been miscommunication, misunderstanding, whatever. Basically, everybody who had hotel tickets booked at the hotel where the convention was taking place had them canceled. So it was pretty much obvious at that point that, I mean, Austin wasn't happening, but now it is officially not happening. Like, 
LP National is not happening in Austin in May. Where and when? Don't know yet. <laughs> um, apparently, and I am not much of a masochist to go actually watch over this apparently three-hour Zoom call where this was all discussed. But apparently the whole thing kind of just evolved into this clusterfuck of everybody basically wanting to get their points in and kind of one-upmanship and try to basically be, for, for lack of a better way of putting this, do exactly what libertarians always fucking do every damn time. So what has been decided at this point is that there is going to be a physical convention somewhere at some point before July 15th. How that's going to happen? Beats me. I have no, I mean, I don't even think hotels are taking bookings right now for conventions. Like, I mean, it's, it's May 3rd. I, I, I don't see how logistically speaking, this is going to happen. Also, you have the problem that now people have to kind of rearrange their plans. Like I said, delegates are expected to physically be at the convention. So, I mean, people have jobs, people have lives. Um, Clearly, ever since COVID happened, um, nobody is exactly as financially flush as they were pre-COVID. So now you have the problem of now if you have to rebook things and you kind of have to do it last minute? Is this going to incur an additional charge? Is this something that people can even still afford to do, given the fact that most of us have either had wage reductions or, God forbid, you're completely out of a job? Obviously, travel is not really going to be in your plans because you don't really have extra money right now. So, yeah, I'm not sure how this is supposed to go down. Um, There's supposed to be another call this coming Saturday to discuss more so what exactly we are supposed to be doing. So when I know something more, I will let you know, but Austin is officially canceled. And to kind of bring that back to Amash, um, and all of the candidates really, and all of the other LP business that is supposed to be handled at the convention, because this year there will be a new chairman, there will be a new vice chair because neither Nicholas Sarwak nor Alex Merced is running for re-election. So you have that. Um, You have various other positions that are going to be up for vote where the incumbent is not running. So there's going to be, whenever, however we have this, there's going to be a lot of changes within the LP. So, I mean, there's, there's been... There's been discussion of doing this virtually. I'm not sure how that would work either. I mean, I don't, I'm not technically inclined enough to try to figure that out. I leave that to better people. Um, I do think that's a better option at this point, especially if this is something that people are going to have to kind of rearrange their lives around last minute. It's a hell of a lot easier to do that virtually than it is to try to travel to someplace right now. So, but we shall see. Apparently, there is some discussion about the bylaws and people interpreting it as we have to have a physical convention in order for this to be binding. Some people interpret it that way. Some people interpret it as not that. Um, People have asked, well, why not just amend that to allow for a virtual convention? Like I said, from what I understand, this call just degenerated into a total clusterfuck. So hopefully the one this upcoming Saturday will go a little better. And 
the, the whole thing kind of sucks because if if you delay it too long, um, like I explained, we do pick our nominee at the convention. So now you have a problem with there not being a clear nominee until whenever we have a convention, which kind of puts that person, be it a mosh or be it somebody else behind the eight ball, as far as being the official nominee and being able to kind of be out in public as that. So I mean, it, there's, there's a lot of arguments both ways. Personally, I just think we should do it virtually and be done with it. I say we, I'm not a member of the LP. I'm not a delegate. I was planning on going and I'm kind of bummed that I'm not going to get to go because I was looking forward to that. I was looking forward to seeing a bunch of people. I was looking forward to seeing my friends. But this is my new COVID reality where I have to cancel all of my travel plans (laughs) that I've made so far this year. And it sucks. But hey, what what else am I going to do? Right? Like, if this is the only thing that I have to bitch about, then I'm I'm doing all right. Anyway, there is all of that. Um, like I said, I am running up on a bit of a time restriction today, so I think I'm going to leave off of discussing, like I said, the Michael Flynn situation, and also discussing our new Joe Biden slash Me Too slash all of the sudden we are discovering nuance in Believe All Women situation for the next episode. So. Anyway, at this point, I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up. So if you did make it this far, thank you for listening. And if you do like this, please rate, comment, and subscribe. You can find me on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, YouTube, and on my Patreon page. Take care and until next time.